Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Testudo Talk podcast. I'm Emmett Siegel. This will be a solo podcast. Andrew, unfortunately, couldn't make it today. But I just got back from the beginning of fall camp for Maryland football. They had a bit of a media day situation going on before the first practice of the season, uh, of the fall season, that is. And football season is right around the corner. I mean, I'm recording this on August 2nd. This will come out on about August 4th. And by the time this comes out, the season opener against Towson for the Terps will be less than a month away. So football season is right around the corner. It's coming up quick. It's kind of gotten in full swing if you take into account the fact that practices have started for the team. So very exciting time. Um, yeah, the team has started fall practice, and we had uh, interview time and a press conference with uh, Mike Loxley, the head coach, obviously. We had the offensive and defensive coordinator, that's Josh Gaddis and Brian Williams. We got an opportunity to talk to them, which is, you know, during the season, we don't really get a chance to talk to any of the assistants, so that was very helpful. And then kind of a jumble of players got to talk to in sort of a roundtable format. Um, so yeah, very interesting just to hear about what the team is thinking as they head into the 2023 season. Um, so yeah, that's just kind of what we'll be recapping this episode. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. But first, we'll get to a quick word from today's sponsors. All right, well, now I want to start this conversation with the primary topic, what I felt like came across as the primary topic of conversation on this media day, this fall media day that the football team hosted as they started fall camp. And that is this declaration that Loxley made. They use that term a lot, the term declaration to describe what Loxley said first at Big Ten Media Days last week and then reiterating it this week at the beginning of fall camp in front of the media, in front of the Maryland media specifically. And that's this notion that Maryland, in Loxley's mind, has made it to the point where he feels comfortable saying that this is a team that should compete for Big Ten championships. Now, naturally, if, if you want to use the literal interpretation of that, obviously, if you're playing in the Big Ten, you're always competing for a Big Ten championship, and everyone starts with a 0-0 zero and zero record, so you know we know how that all works. But what Loxley's really getting at here is that in recent years, he didn't feel comfortable saying that. Now, We've seen in recent years, there's there's always been a narrative, right? It started with kind of changing this culture. We, you know, you had the toxic culture at Maryland that, you know, he inherited from DJ Durkin and all the terrible things that happened there. And, you know, he inherited a program that, frankly, was in shambles. And he had a massive rebuild in front of him that, you know, he, he had a lot of years of work in front of him that it was going to be no easy task to build up Maryland to the point where it's at now. And I think it's quite impressive and he should be commended for it. And there's been different narratives that have also kind of taken off since then. You know, last year they talked about this quote-unquote taking the next step and just saying that out loud, you know, I'm just getting flashbacks to how many times we wrote about that, you know, covering the team and this idea of taking the next step and what the next step really means. And really what it, it boiled down to was this idea of closing the gap between Maryland and the top schools in the conference. And most of the time that narrative centers around Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. And these three schools are kind of repeated ad nauseum when you're talking about Maryland football and what they have to do to compete at the highest level because those are realistically the schools that have been in their way of taking that next step into the upper echelon. You know, you're stuck in the Big Ten East and, you know, divisions are going away next year. And, you know, it, that seems like something that Maryland has as much to gain as any school. But when you think about those three schools, the Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State trio there, for I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's a little bit drastic to say this because, 
you know, there, there have been a couple games here and there where it hasn't quite been, you know, a blowout. But just generally speaking, if you take a macro look at it, since Maryland joined the conference, you're more or less chalking up three losses on your schedule before you even get a chance to play a game. And naturally, there's going to be some anomalies in there, right? Like Maryland's beaten Michigan once since joining the conference and, and beat Penn State twice and has had a couple close games against Ohio State. But I'm not necessarily talking about a specific game of football. I'm talking about from a macro point of view, when you're talking about building a program. And really what Loxley has done that's most impressive is he's closed that talent gap to the point where those schools are still ahead of Maryland. They're ahead of Maryland you know, on that, on that depth chart of, of Big Ten programs and of national programs. And Maryland still has a while to go before they're in any way considered on that level from a national perspective. But the fact that Maryland has, you know, they have a quarterback like Talia Tungavailo, and I'll talk about him in a little bit. The fact that they have a quarterback like that that has, you know, kind of ushered in this new era, and the fact that they've accumulated talent, you know, we know about the wide receiver talent that they've had, the defensive back talent, they've been churning out NFL defensive backs recently. And there's plenty of other positions too, like offensive linemen. There's been multiple Maryland offensive linemen taken in the Loxley era in the NFL draft. But let me get back on track with the main point I was trying to make that why now? Why is now the time that Loxley feels comfortable saying this? And I think a lot of it from what he was saying centers around this idea of the off the field stuff, right? I just talked a lot about the talent gap and how he's closed that between the top schools in Maryland and how he's been able to accumulate talent there at a level that I won't quite say is championship level. He might say it, but you know, it's getting there at least. But the main point that Loxley was trying to make was that it's the the off-the-field stuff that matters most to him when thinking about competing for Big Ten championships. I mean, he was pretty honest about it when he would say that when he first got to Maryland, there would be people coming up to him, you know, players on his own team, staffers on his own team, talking about, you know, let's go win a championship. And he would be pretty honest with them and say that we can't start talking about championships because we're not there yet. We don't have championship habits. We don't act like a championship team. And I remember talking to Bo Braid, and this is in an article that I wrote. I, I used this quote uh, when I was writing an article that's on testudotimes.com. I would recommend you know, checking out all of our football coverage this preseason. Bo Braid said that when he got there, he's a senior now. So when he got there in 2020, when he got to Maryland, he was hearing stories about you know, guys stealing from each other and stuff like that. And he said the team was very fractured in a lot of different cliques and friend groups. And it just didn't really feel like a cohesive unit. But now, you know, and I'm quoting him as well as a lot of other players and, and Loxley himself, but, but I think this is most important coming from the players because they're the ones that really experienced this. You know, in response to that question of what is it about this team specifically that makes you feel like you can compete for a championship, it always comes back to that togetherness and that family atmosphere that they all feel. And even the new guys that are coming in, the transfers or freshmen, it feels like they're immediately thrown into it. And it feels like it is a very genuine reaction in a very tight-knit group that, you know, when you're thinking long-term about building a program, sure, you know, you need good NIL and you need good talent on the roster. You know, obviously that's the primary way you win in college sports and in really any sports is just having good players. But in addition to that stuff, you need the type of people that are going to come together as a unit and are going to come together with that common goal. And I think that this Maryland team does have that. Now, I don't necessarily think that this Maryland team is going to win a Big Ten championship. And that's just me saying that. I, you know, I just think that talent level that I talked about earlier, is, it's still too big between them and maybe the top schools in the conference. But when you look at the type of people that they have on this team, and when you look at the way this team 
kind of feels like they all rally behind each other. I think that it's pretty fair to say that Loxley, at a minimum, has this thing going in the right direction and at least has it rolling on a trajectory where maybe there will be a day and with divisions gone and you know all sorts of movement in college football, maybe you can make the argument that there will be a day where Maryland does actually, in a national perspective, have that ability to compete for a Big Ten championship. I don't necessarily think they're quite there yet personally, but I think they're on that trajectory, and I think that Loxley saying this is just another step on that trajectory of getting to the point where maybe now everyone else will pick up on it and that that culture from within will kind of spill over into results on the field. And I said I would talk about Talia Tungavailoa a little bit, and, you know, I'll just hit on this really quickly because it's obviously been in the news recently. And, you know, I'm talking about the news that The Athletic reported, that Audrey Snyder of The Athletic reported, that Talia turned down a $1.5 million offer to go to an unnamed SEC team. And, you know, that's in name, image, and likeness money to go there and transfer there this offseason and decided to stay, you know, using Talia's words, you know, kind of because of the relationships he built at Maryland. And obviously we know how detrimental the transfer portal has been to Maryland in some years, especially at certain positions. You see guys that used to be at Maryland flourishing elsewhere. But to keep a guy like that really just speaks to that culture that I just mentioned. And I think, you know, Talia means so much to what Loxley has built. I mean, I would argue that he is the centerpiece of what Mike Loxley has built. And without Talia, this, this team and this program would not be at the point it is now where you're looking at a potential, you know, eight-win season coming up, potential, you know, bowl game guaranteed as opposed to, you know, kind of fighting for it against Rutgers in that final week of the season. The fact that you're able to keep a guy like that, you, you need to, right? If Talia leaves in the offseason, that speaks terribly of Maryland as a program. And the fact that you're able to keep him around, not because you were able to buck up on NIL money, not because you were able to, you know, pay him to stay or, you know, something along those lines, but the fact, and obviously his, you know, his situation is unique because he has a brother in the NFL and, you know, his family is very close and, you know, he, he used to play in the SEC and if it's an unnamed SEC team and, you know, I think a lot of people have thrown around different schools that they might think it is, you know, depending if it's a, you know, rival of maybe a school that he used to be at and stuff like that. I don't know if he wants to burn those bridges, but, but regardless of all that stuff, the fact that they were able to keep him around without having to engage in any sort of bidding war or anything like that, I think speaks volumes to the culture that Loxley has instilled at Maryland. And I think it just proves that this program is headed in the right direction and will continue to potentially head in that trajectory, at least long-term. I don't know about the, you know, the year-to-year results, but I think that the Maryland football program, I think there's no denying that it's an exciting time for what Maryland football could be moving forward in the future. And I think that stuff like this just kind of reiterates that point. All right, now that we've kind of hit on most of the big picture stuff, Let's move into a little bit more of a micro perspective. Let's talk about this season specifically and, you know, what Maryland has to do to take that next step this year and to, you know, establish itself on that level of competing for championships. And one of the big things that was hit on, and, you know, I totally agree with this, is this idea of turning those either close losses into wins or close wins into more convincing ones. And that was kind of what held Maryland back from having such a special year last year. And you know, that's kind of the case with most teams, it feels like. I mean, there are some teams that just get blown out all the time. And, you know, Maryland had a couple games where, you know, they just kind of put up a stinker and they weren't really in it from the start. But when you think about what Maryland's season last year was and what kind of held it back from really breaking through, you, know, you have a seven-win campaign, you win a bowl game, so you get to eight wins by the end of the year. And, you know, that's very impressive for, for what Maryland has been 
you know, in recent memory. So, you know, it's obviously a step forward and you're kind of willing to, you know, put that stuff behind you in terms of the losses because, you know, it ended on a positive note. When you think about what could have been, right, you look at, I look, personally, I look at that Purdue game, that Purdue loss, very, very winnable game. You get a lot of turnovers in that second half and you're unable to capitalize with points. And then I look at, obviously, the Michigan and Ohio State games, which were potential, you know, kind of breakthrough moments where you're able to knock off a top-ranked team. You know, that would have been big. When you think about what Maryland has to do in order to win those close games, in my opinion, it all starts at the line of scrimmage with penalties. And it really starts with some of those crucial, crucial penalties that Maryland was getting that was either killing drives or giving the other team, you know, free yards, you know, as penalties are known to do right there. They're, they're giving away opportunities when you get a stop, right? You get a chance to get off the field, and then all of a sudden the team gets another chance. Or maybe you get a big third-down conversion, but then there's a holding call, so now you're doing third and 20, and, you know, you're never going to get that. If Maryland can clean that stuff up, in my opinion, that's the biggest thing to look for this year. When you're thinking about what's the difference between another 7-5 and five year and then potentially getting to that 8-4 and four mark or, you know, maybe even that 9-3 and three mark, and then you're just going from there. Right. I think that the penalties that cost them a couple of those games, you have the illegal man downfield. And obviously, like I mentioned, there were, you know, the turnovers that they were unable to capitalize on. But you have that illegal man downfield on the two point conversion against Purdue. That's the one that really stood out to me. And they were able to come out with a couple games where even they got called for, you know, a lot of penalties. But but really cleaning up those penalties is going to be the key. And, you know, you have an offensive line that's probably going to look a lot different from last year. You're losing four starters, I believe, from the year before. So, you know, you're, you're going to have to have a new-look offensive line really step into its own. And that, that's where my main concern would be, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it because we'll have some episodes coming in the future where maybe we'll get more into the X's and O's and the personnel and stuff like that. And, you know, this is just kind of about the team starting fall camp. But, you know, that would be my biggest concern is a new offensive line that's not used to playing with each other and stuff, getting penalties that, you know, could potentially swing a game. And if you're looking to take that next step, you've got to be able to turn those close losses into wins and, you know, be able to kind of put your foot on the gas in close games and maybe pull away if you have a slight lead and then not let other teams back into the game, which was what I felt Maryland's biggest flaw was last year when it came to closing out teams was just those penalties that were so costly. They were near the bottom of the conference in penalties. If you could get that even to the middle of the pack, I think the sky's the limit for what this team could achieve this year. Now, the last thing I want to talk about, and we don't like to keep these episodes too long, especially this time of year, and we're getting closer to that 15-minute mark. The last thing I want to talk about is this recent cycle of Big Ten expansion news, and it's really just conference realignment as a whole. You know, the Big 12 is adding Colorado. There's all sorts of rumors about, you know, other schools potentially joining them, and, you know, there's always the perpetual schools looking for a new home, it feels like. But specifically with the Big Ten, these recent reports that the Big Ten is seriously eyeing or I think the quote was doing their due diligence on Oregon and Washington. I think it's very interesting the stance the Big Ten is taking on this. Now, we've had a lot of talks about the L.A. schools joining the Big Ten and what that means for regionality in college sports and how that's kind of a thing of the past. And, you know, I've expressed my opinion on that and how I'm much more in favor of regionality and college sports. And, you know, I wish it would go back to the way it was. And, you know, I'll talk about that. In a quick second, uh, I'll kind of get on that. But the most interesting part of this to me was when the Big Ten, I mean, the Big Ten's not directly saying this, but when it's been kind of reported through people on behalf of the Big Ten, the Big Ten doesn't want to be seen as predatory and doesn't want to be seen as flipping the last domino down 
of the Pac-12 and kind of resulting in its demise, which, I mean, let's be honest, if Oregon and Washington are to leave, that's just the nail in the coffin for a conference that's already reeling, already lost two of its biggest members, already lost another school. Other schools within the conference are flirting with different conferences. You know, it's kind of a disaster right now in the Pac-12, to be totally frank. But this idea that the Big Ten doesn't want to be predatory, it's frankly ridiculous. And the reason it's ridiculous is because the Big Ten is the one that put this all in motion with the Pac-12. Now, the Big Ten did not usher in this most recent era of major conference realignment where you're seeing more consolidation. That was the SEC with Texas and Oklahoma going. And we all know, you know, the domino effect that had. But the fact that the Big Ten, the same conference that is willing to take the two biggest brands probably in the Pac-12, right, taking the L.A. schools, taking USC and UCLA, the fact that they were willing to do that and then just a year later say, we don't want to take Oregon and Washington yet because we don't want to be seen, you know, as, as the conference that broke the camel's back, right, removed the last straw. It's incredibly ironic because the Big Ten is the conference that put this all in motion with the Pac-12. The second that the L.A. schools left, that was Colorado's motive to get out. They saw the writing on the wall, and they saw that the Pac-12, which has been unable to secure a TV rights deal, which has had all sorts of troubles and kind of keeping itself relevant in terms of getting exposure and such, that's the reason why Colorado left. It's not because they felt like the Big 12 was a better competitive situation for them. It's because it was a better media situation. It's because the Pac-12 isn't as viable as it used to be when it had USC and UCLA. Once again, arguably its two biggest brands. So frankly, if the Big Ten is going to take Oregon and Washington, which I think was something that was instantly considered when USC and UCLA were announced that they were joining the conference because naturally, just travel-wise and you know, you're looking at a map, it doesn't really make sense to have two schools in LA joining a conference that's primarily in the Midwest and not add any more West Coast schools. And Oregon and Washington seem like basic fits. I mean, you have Cal and Stanford if you want to kind of own the state of California if you consider Cal and Stanford really big brands nowadays, I'm not sure they totally are. But Oregon and Washington seem like perfect fits for the Big Ten in many different ways outside of regionality, which we all know is pretty much dead in college sports nowadays anyway. I think Oregon and Washington at the end of the day will be in the Big Ten uh, eventually. I don't know if it'll be in a year or two. I don't know when it'll be. Uh, I don't think they know when it'll be, and I don't think the Big Ten has extended any sort of invitation or anything like that. So We'll see what happens with that. I just wanted to kind of get that out there about how much irony there is in this situation with the Big Ten kind of single-handedly destroying the Pac-12 in a way and then not wanting to deliver the final blow on actually destroying the Pac-12. And obviously there's been a commissioner change. Maybe Tony Petiti doesn't want to be as aggressive as Kevin Warren was. But even so, I think it's pretty funny to look at it from that perspective. And at the end of the day, we might be headed back towards regionality. It might be kind of a long road. I can see a scenario where the Big Ten and the SEC just consolidate so much that they have to break up their super conferences into divisions, and then we kind of look up, and we're just right back where we started. Uh, Some schools will get left behind, which is unfortunate, but, you know, I I think there's a chance we head that way. But anyway, I just kind of wanted to get that out there uh, before we ended the podcast, and thank everyone for listening. Obviously, it's more fun when when Andrew's here, but he couldn't make it this episode, unfortunately. But we'll be right back at it every week leading up into the football season, uh, into the Maryland football season with all sorts of preview coverage, all sorts of anything that comes our way. And then once the season starts, we're going to have a lot of exciting stuff to listen to and, you know, hopefully keep you guys entertained. So thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. 
and we'll see you on the next episode of the Testudo Talk podcast. Thanks for listening. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.